welcome to the Dietitian Connection podcast, a show about nutrition, dietitians, and their success stories. This podcast, hosted by Kate Agnew and Marie Ferguson, will empower you to realize your professional dreams by giving you access to our global community of dietitians. Through our conversations with nutrition leaders, we'll educate you, inspire you, and help you create more impact as a dietitian. Welcome to another Dietitian Connection bite-sized chats. My name is Marie Ferguson and I'm the director and founder of Dietitian Connection. And it's my great pleasure today to have Sandra McHale and Gemma Sampson from Switzerland and Spain, respectively. And I'm really looking forward to chatting to you ladies and getting to know a little bit more about how you ended up where you are, what life normally looks for, like for you, and then how things have been during COVID. So Sandra, I might start with you. Can you tell us a little bit about how you ended up in Switzerland and what what your role is and what you do over there. All right. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having us, Marie. Um, I've been in Switzerland. I was actually just thinking about that. I've been here now for um, eight years. So I moved here in 2012. Um, I come from a very big mixed background. So Australian born, Greek, Egyptian, grew up, you know, in, in Dubai back in the 80s and 90s. And life was between Australia and Dubai for a very long time. And then fast forward, here I am in Europe. Um, what brought me here is uh, my partner. So husband, uh, we actually met in Brisbane uh, 11 years ago. And now... Oh, what do I do? So I am a clinical dietitian specializing in gastroenterology and sports nutrition. Um, I've actually had my practice now for the last four years um, here in Zurich, but my brand's actually been is 10 years old. So I started off as a blog and fast forward 10 years now, it's an official business. Um, and I'll let you in on a little secret. I was actually never a fan of the name. Nutrition A to Z is... Mm-hmm. I know it's like 10 years later and I'm stuck with it because it just becomes, you know, a recognizable brand. Um, but it's definitely been a journey. I think also just working on three different continents so I can kind of take that off the list. Mm. So yeah, this is me in a nutshell. And I think we met when you were a student in Brisbane. Do I have that right? Actually, I, no, we met when I, I, I fresh out of uni, actually. Oh, okay. I, um, yeah, so I think I approached you because back then, um, the amount of graduates in comparison to, to the amount of vacancies or jobs mm-hmm. um, was, yeah, it was a very tough time. So I remember just moving up to Brizzy and um, from Melbourne and um, reached out to you uh, while you are at the PA, and this is where we met. So you've given me my first diet clinical experience basically Uh, yes very cool um yeah you've come so far since then i look (laughs) forward to sharing a little bit more about what you do with with everyone on the bite-sized chat here today um what about yourself Gemma? i i don't know as much about you and so maybe take us back to training as a dietitian in australia yeah, so I'm, I'm Australian. Um, I was born in, well, I'm from Sydney originally, but I actually grew up in Zambia, so I've got quite a, a multi-country um, upbringing as, as well. well. Yeah, so I, I lived in Zambia for seven years um, until I was 17 and mm. went back to final year of school, went straight into, into uni uh, nutrition and dietetics at Wollongong University 
And similar back to looking back then, there wasn't very many jobs available, but I was like, I will go anywhere to get the experience. So I actually sort of got a job straight out of uni. I think I started a week after in Bendigo in, in, down in Victoria, which was great. It was a very dynamic role, um, rural healthcare plus hospital mix. Mm-hmm. And then that was a few months. And then I got a job for a year in Sydney in Balmain in aged care. And at that point, it was, again, there's this no, no job sort of going on and I could get a British passport and I was like getting all these emails about jobs in the UK. So I thought, oh, yeah, why not? I'll go to the UK for a year. And the original plan was like, oh, yeah, I'll probably be there one or two years, work, travel, work, travel, work, travel. <laughs> kind of got stuck there. And, um, we just realized, I just realised just before that I've actually been in Europe for 10 years now as of probably this weekend. Oh, my so, gosh, Wow. Exactly. So a sort of time time flies. So I was in the UK for uh, just under seven, uh, sorry, just under eight years in total before I moved to where I am now in Spain. I did that too when I moved to the US. I thought I was only going to be one or two years and I was there for eight. So yeah. And then, then you're kind of like, what do you do then? Because you've been there so long. Do you <laughs> decide to come back or stay? Or, yeah, it's really yeah, hard. Exactly. I was always in my back of my mind. I was like, okay, I want to go back to Australia. I want to go back to Australia. But there wasn't the jobs. There wasn't the opportunities. And I guess similar, I started my, I guess my, my business now began as a blog um, back in 2013. So Dietitian Without Borders was kind of my brand. And, and it's something that I've sort of been, again, the name, I'm like, oh, it, it works. But <laughs> <laughs> I felt aligned yeah. with it very long time and so probably for about two years I've been wanting to rebrand personally and it's just taken me now to actually do to do that but mm-hmm. um yeah so I sort of my business started in a blog uh, because I was at the hospital and I was hearing all this nutrition nonsense and I'm like okay, I need to put this into context and like people are using this and turmeric to cure cancer and I'm like trying to like let's put some sanity in there and um yeah and so kind of grew from that and I started working a little bit privately probably five six years ago I think so after about two years it just sort of evolved and became from like a part-time little hobby to then take the leap and let's make this my full-time job. Mm. I was supposed to go to Zambia for the after the ICD congress in September which sadly I'm not going to be able to go but I was really looking forward to it. Yeah it's a beautiful country. Have you been back? I have actually. So I've actually done two masters and my my first, my second masters, um, because originally I was I was always interested in sports nutrition, but I thought I wanted to work in like aid zones and humanitarian. And so I did a master's in public health nutrition in London. Mm-hmm. And part of my I had a research project, which I was lucky to get one in Zambia. And my parents had actually gone back to Zambia for another five or six years at this point. So mm-hmm. that was quite good. Uh, different parts where we were in the city in Lusaka. So it was very different to the bush where I grew up. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it was it just really I just interesting to seeing the differences um in even just food availability, because like, so I mean, where I grew up, like we would go to the supermarket once every three months because it was like a two, three hour drive to get mm-hmm. there. So it was like this mm-hmm. event. Mm-hmm. And then when we went back, um, when I went back in 2012, I think it was, the that same supermarket that would be our big trip. And just the different foods that you're seeing people putting in their supermarkets, the availability that had changed over, I guess, a five, 10 year period was really, really mm-hmm. interesting to see. Yeah, it's amazing when you can see um, countries years apart I um, recently went to India a couple of years ago and I hadn't been for about almost 20 years and the first time when there was no internet and um, (laughs) no Ubers and all of that sort of stuff to now where there's Ubers and internet oh my gosh it's such a different experience (laughs) yeah 
Um, so you talked about rebranding. Do you, are you able to say what your new brand is? Yes, I'm, I mean, my new, I'm using my, my own name. As, oh, as okay. okay. Gemma Sampson. Mm-hmm. And so what does your business look like now, Gemma? So now I pretty much exclusively work with with athletes, so particularly cyclists and triathletes. And mm-hmm. so um, usually people who are training for specific events and so coaching them with their tra- nutrition for both training and for recovery and for performance. So mm-hmm. I work with a mixture of amateur and elite athletes there. Mm-hmm. I know you're a keen cyclist yourself. Yeah. I, got, I actually got into cycling from triathlon. So I, I, I'd been talking about doing a triathlon for, I don't know, like 10 years and someone challenged me about what's stopping me. So I was like, oh, yeah, nothing me. So I, I did a sprint, then a half and a half, and then I did a full. And then in the process of that, discovered that I really liked cycling and just sort of scrapped the rest and just go to some. <laughs> um, and so I imagine you see people all over the world then. So a lot of it is via yeah. telehealth. Yeah, so this is where it's really interesting in terms of like current times. So because I, when I was living in the UK, I had a physical practice on the weekends, but because the weekends were when people were usually doing their big old training sessions, it didn't always work for them to physically come and see me. So I started doing, I guess, telehealth or remote consults well, four, four or five years ago almost. And just because it wasn't practical for people to have to travel to then see me. And so what I found is I'd be working with people for weeks or months and then we could sort of like just dip in and make little tweaks and changes and adjustments no matter where they were. So mm-hmm. in terms of shifting my practice now where maybe six, 12 months ago, it was maybe more of a 50-50 split depending on who was around where I am based in Spain now. It's mm-hmm. now gone almost probably 95% remote. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I've just lost my train of thought. Um, I actually have a quick question because this is something that we can, you know, I think we we would bring this up in terms of challenges, but Gemma, how was it, or how is dietetics viewed in Spain? Because one of the biggest challenges that I've had here in Switzerland is that dietitians are not necessarily authority when it comes to nutrition. So all the big media partnerships and so on are all these, again, I call them wellness unicorns and the woo-woos that are out there and influencers. And I think one of the biggest challenges for me moving to a foreign country, especially coming from Australia, where dietetics is you know, very well established, it's not a new field, is people taking us seriously. And it's not just about the food pyramid and weight loss. Yeah, no, definitely. I think this is where like the, the, the audience and the people that I'm working with is where that can differ because I I mean I've I worked in the hospital system for a really long time and if that's what I was doing here in Spain, I probably would be encountering that much more. But because I'm working privately and working with people on a one-on-one individual level, um there are still people obviously doing that here. Um but um, I guess I'm more focusing on the individual, the individual athletes, amateur and elite. My question was going to be around: um, Do you do packages, Gemma, or is it sort of more of a one-off? How does that look? Yeah, predominantly packages. I, I do do some one-offs, but that's probably only maybe about twenty percent of my business. The majority of people I would work with, and. This is where it will, it, it's shifted and evolved over the years where sometimes it would be six weeks and it'll be three months. And it, I do have a few different package options depending on what people's goals are. And that has also shifted a little bit too with uh, the whole COVID situation just because some people have uh, been affected work-wise and so they need they still need accountability and touch-ups. So I've changed 
sort of providing almost more like accountability top-up sort of packages for some people at a lower price point where, and I think this is where I found mindset and thoughts and beliefs because initially you think everyone's lost their job, everyone's got no money, no one can pay for me. And (laughs) and realising that's not that's not the case there are still people who haven't been affected at all and so not allowing that negative thought to make you live in fear and not put yourself out there because yes there's Mm. people that have been affected negatively but then there's also people that haven't been and so Mm. that by playing small and not saying that you're available to work with people then you can't help people and that's what I want to do I want to help people Mm. and feel better with that yeah I know you've found the same thing Sandra Absolutely. I mean, it was a matter of reinventing ourselves as well because we were a physical practice and I didn't rely so much on our online presence. And I have this whole love-hate relationship with being online, especially around social media. But within that doubt of, right, people are losing their jobs. But again, being in Switzerland in comparison to the rest of the world from a financial perspective, um, it wasn't that bad. And people are still out there that need help. So it was just a matter of changing our messaging. Um, So we still had our current clients. Yes, new clients took a hit. So again, going back to what I specialize in. So we've got, you know, gut health, but also food intolerances and allergies. And they're still out there. But the problem that we faced is all the, you know, referring doctors because all the clinics were closed. Um, So that took it. So that referring channel took a hit. So again, it was really about how do we reach these people and bypass the doctors in a way. Um, So that was one thing. And then the other thing was um, for me, again, being, you know, working in sports nutrition, it was with, you know, working, I work with football players. So elite football players in Switzerland with one of the football clubs. And what's taken a hit again is no games. The player, you know, in terms of from a financial perspective as well, clubs took a hit Um, and there was just a lot of restructuring. So rather than rely on everything that I've comfortably had going on for the last couple of years, it's really a a matter of, again, seeking different opportunities and, and um, yeah, it's just changing your message a little bit to suit the times. So what kind of messaging or where are you seeing your referrals coming from at the moment, Sandra? Um, More online, to be honest, I think even just looking at social media, looking at the content um, initially what I've, what I'm not going to say I was completely against that, but when I first started off my business, I was offering a lot of freebies. Um, and then let's say two years into it, I no longer offered anything for free. And then this whole series of, let's say I've been invited to different online webinars. And and then I was like, hold on, I can actually reach more people, not just in Switzerland, but internationally. So I created this whole webinar series for free with different health professionals. And we started reaching people in the UK, in the US, um, different parts of Europe. Um, Australia was a bit hard, but we had people join in, you know, given the time difference. But that was one thing that gave me a push, right? You know, let's focus more on the online presence rather than rely on just having clients in our physical practice. Mm. So that was one thing. And, And also I felt like I was dependent for a long time on maybe four or five referring channels. So generally we get our clients from our website, referring doctors, word of mouth. And this whole situation kind of pushed me out of my comfort zone. It's like, right, I need to sort of look at what different marketing strategies, promotions, what other channels can we tap into to to grow our business even more? Mm -hmm. What about yourself, Gemma? Have you 
has your way of referrals or your way of marketing changed during this period or your foundations of what you're already doing has kept you in good stead? I think it's definitely made me have to be a bit more intentional with marketing. Um, I think over the last few years, business-wise, my business is taking a bit of a back step in a lot of ways because I've been trying to finish a professional doctorate, a PhD, and an applied PhD. And so it had been sort of like, okay, just let's let's do a bit less of that. And I had to reshift my priorities to focus less on the, the prof doc and more on business and be really intentional um, with emailing, sending emails out regularly, with um, yeah, posting on social media. So even though I have lots of things that I've wanted to do, I haven't had the time to do that. So what I have started actually, um, and I just recognise and realise that maybe the processes is the processes that I'm using are lacking a little bit. So um, getting a need and, and realising that what's got me here can't get me there and what I've done today, DIY, without having any free marketing has been fine, but I don't know how to push forward. And so uh, getting a business coach um, and then I'm starting to get uh, employ someone else to do um, marketing templates and Instagram templates and stuff that would take me maybe a whole week to get it done because I'm like, oh, is that okay? Where I can just pay someone that can do it in an hour, two hours, and then I can just repeat, repeat, repeat. So I think the biggest thing for me at the moment that I'm really trying to focus on is consistency with my marketing, with messaging and with the audience. And mm-hmm. I've definitely found I've gotten a lot more new clients this year from having put more attention into that where I guess the last three years, just because I didn't have the brain space for it, I wasn't focusing on so much. It was There wasn't really that clear strategy where now because I am being a bit more intentional with that, there's always lots of room for improvement with that, but I'm regularly getting new clients from those engagements. Yeah, cool. And I know, Sandra, you have a love-hate relationship with social media and you also outsource some of that. So could you maybe both of you speak to how you found that process? How did you find someone? Yeah, how is that process working for you? I think as dietitians, we have this aversion to delegate. We have this this sort of, um, again, maybe I'm just speaking to, to my, you know, for myself is we know we can do it all. Mm-hmm. And I learned the hard way is that, right, actually delegating things makes me more efficient with my own time. So I was able to find, again, I outsource in terms of social media or even online marketing. Um, I found my VA who's actually based in the U.S., um, again, through different networks, and it's she's been fantastic. She's she's, it's her area, you know. I mean, obviously, we always have to be in line with the content. So the content, the science, all the facts are are my side. Um, but when it comes to consistency, because this was one of my biggest issues, especially online, is being consistent, being uh, or, or that consistent engagement, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why I do have this love-hate relationship with social media is because two years ago, I, I had a burnout and just this constant um, being connected within the social media or like processing so much information constantly just was not doing my mental health any good. So this is why I would say, you know, finding her was an absolute blessing. But the downfall, I mean, it's not even a downfall, but let's say with, with COVID, that again, I had to redefine what balance meant for me when it came to, to being online again. Because I mean, we're all connected constantly since COVID with, with you know, working from home, et cetera. So it's been an interesting, it's been an interesting time, let's say, mm-hmm. just to find that fine balance. 
What about you, yeah. Gemma? Have you? Yeah, similar for me, I think, also because um, love hate relationship. But I used to be, do a lot more social media wise, so five years ago, and then burnout, relationship breakdown, lots of different things that just took too much brain space and confidence. So I took a massive step back, and it was very ad hoc for a while and so um but I find it very easy if you spend if I if I spend too much time online that I get stuck in that comparison trap and the whole comparison is the thief of joy and so I've had to learn to be really really self-disciplined with time on my computer because I mean my job is online a lot of it mm-hmm. yeah. interestingly when all my consults have been online I've found it it's, it's exhausting so there's a cap as to how many people that I can even see in a day now um, that wasn't so much there versus when you see people face to face so mm. you just I'd get to the end of the, the day and I'd just be like on the floor and written off for like hours trying to recover and so I've just found that I have to be very, very strategic and very intentional. Like emails, I only check emails once a day and this is the time that I check them and that's the only time that I check them because otherwise there's just too much overwhelm and brain space taken up. And same with social media. I think at the moment, the last few months I've been, okay, if I just post three times a week and I keep posting three times a week, even though maybe I should be posting six or seven, mm-hmm. um, I can commit to three a week mm-hmm. and that I can get that done yeah. every week for weeks where mm-hmm. I think initially when COVID sort of happened, because we had a very intense lockdown here in Spain. Mm-hmm. So it, it happened very quickly. Like, I mean, a week before people were saying, oh, we're probably going to go to lockdown. I'm like, what are you talking about? A week <laughs> later, people weren't allowed to leave the house. And so... Mm-hmm. It, it, it's it's so hard to it's, it's so because it's, it's almost normal it's not normal but it's it's almost normal now like you have to wear a mask everywhere but um yeah. where there was no one on the streets the streets were empty it's it, it's sort of it was feeling like you're in a war zone and because against an invisible end because there's just no one on the streets it's like mm. they're all just and so in that period you end up online like taking up all this like fear and information and stresses you out absolutely yeah. your health and so and then you're having all these people like, you should do this, you should do this, you should do this. And like I think the first couple of weeks, everyone started doing all these videos online and they, you just burn out because you can't maintain it. So, again, I had to take this big step back and be like, okay, everyone's saying, create this video series, create this video series. And if you don't do it now, you're going to miss out. And this whole yeah. fear factor. And for me, it just, I was thinking about it because like people are like, oh, we need this, we need this, we need this. And... I just felt so stressed and overwhelmed with all this, this like demand of what people were sort of asking for. And it just didn't feel in alignment with what I want to do and what I'm trying to do. So I did take a big step back and sort of disappear a little bit while I sort of reassessed where am I trying to go in my business and where can I provide the most value and who can I provide the most value with? And so, and it sort of feel like five months later that I'm in that place where I can see the things that, I want to do and change that are long-term strategies in this new environment. Mm. I feel like there's so many similarities between the two of you. Do you agree, Sandra? <laughs> Absolutely. I think I was exactly in the same space. <laughs> but um, I, I wonder if extremely, yeah. I wonder if that means we're all feeling that way. So it's not just the two of you. Oh. It's representative of everyone. Absolutely. Yeah. Go ahead. Absolutely. But I, I just definitely think that this whole bombardment of what you should be doing, because I mean, everyone's been jumping on TikTok, for example. And I was just getting, you know, even my VA or like people like, get on TikTok, get on TikTok. I was like, no, I don't think it's aligned with what I do. And yeah. I, I had a similar thing with people like, you should be on TikTok. And I, I sort of went on there. I think I did one video and then, <laughs> and then my boyfriend was stupid. And I was like, yeah, probably. <laughs> Delete. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I, I think the good thing about it is I was once again forced to take a step back and slow down and just reassess as to write what is truly in alignment with my business and what I want to do for the rest of the year. Um, again, for me, it was a bit of a shock to the system because I went into 2020 thinking this is going <laughs> to be the year. Um, March for me was absolutely packed with speaking engagements. I had my TEDx talk. I was speaking at an eating disorder conference. I had a big partnership coming up and all that just went away within a week. So that was for me hard to process. And I think I just needed to time, you know, I, I needed the time to actually just sit back and process what is going on. Um, mm. And also with the help of my therapist. So even just because I deal with a lot of anxiety and, and after my burnout, I went back into therapy again on a weekly basis just to help put all these thoughts and feelings uh, and make sense out of them. Mm. Oh, there's so much value in that. I mean, I've worked with a psychologist for I think five years or more. And, and I think um, Lindy Cohen, she, she, I, I think I was speaking with her about this years back and she was saying, it's basically like a checkup for your brain. I'm like, that is a great Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And like, I think especially during this period where everyone's mental health has been affected in ways that you don't even realise and because everyone has different coping strategies and my coping strategy is just to work myself to the ground, which I did for the first couple of weeks, um, more so on my PhD sort of research work. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, I need money to pay my bills. And so <laughs> there isn't this balance, but then learning to be able to let something slide because yeah I had intended to have finished that um, and submitted and be graduating now and so letting go of those like goals is like there's a bit of grief involved with mm. that too so mm. I think definitely exactly that for mm. me there's a lot of value in just like okay slow down less is more and and eliminating that anxiety like do, go 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 you got to do more 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 so actually there no, like less is more mm. So what strategies have you both put in place to, I guess, main, I'm not going to, I was going to say work-life balance, but it's not about that. It's about, I guess, mental wellness and not, not getting to the burnout and not dealing with all the outside pressures. And what kind of strategies have you both put in place to kind of keep you in a, a good place? I've... I've had found um, I've been really become really strict with my calendar. I mean, I, I felt like I was already relatively good with my calendar anyway, but that especially in the early to the first few weeks where we couldn't leave the house and had nothing else to do, that helped me pass the days by being really like hour by hour. This is what I'm doing um, to get in a rhythm and a routine. But it's actually, and I, I was just working 24-7 all the time. And so I've actually started not working weekends, becoming putting more boundaries in place in like days that I'm working with clients so that I can separate different projects and different people. And also the same with um, when, I can, when I'm available to work with clients and like limiting that so that I'm actually enjoying life now. So now that we're able to go outside and leave the, the city because we weren't allowed to leave the city for a couple of months, um, where on weekends we're doing bike trips and going away. So like last weekend we went to this mountain for the weekend and this weekend we're probably going just to the border of south of France to, mm -hmm. and just doing these little things to enjoy the moment but switching off from work, leaving all the work behind so that I can have a break from work. Mm -hmm. What about yourself, Sandra? I completely agree. I think it was just setting boundaries because just being at home I and mean, we were lucky in Switzerland, you, you were able to go out. We, so you were able to, they didn't cap as to how many hours you're allowed to be outdoors. Um, 
for me, what was, again, the, the non-negotiables that I've tried to keep up is no emails or not being connected after 8 p.m., nothing in the evenings and trying to keep as much as I could to a similar routine that I had before lockdown. Um, obviously, it was a bit of a challenge having a, a three-and-a-half-year-old who thought we were permanently on holiday. <laughs> um, so <laughs> that was one little you know, challenge that we've had to tackle. But um, I think I just – I didn't do anything – I mean, I didn't do anything drastically different. I was still strategic. I always say I'm, I'm strategically busy because even before lockdown, I needed to make sure that I've had a day off for myself, a day off with my family, and I've had my weekends. And I'm just very strategic with with, with my time, really. Um, what I found, though, I, again, I just um, I needed the, the support mentally, and I knew what my red flags were. Um, I'm, I'm very similar to you, Gemma. My initial coping strategy was work, work to like drop, basically, to kind of keep me distracted. But I've just, you know, um, reached out to my therapist again. We've had our online sessions on a weekly basis. I've kept up my meditations for for for, for two years now, quite straight. And, and it's not one of the easiest things you can do. Um, I made sure I actually stepped out of the house each and every single day, at least for half an hour or an hour, because I noticed, um, I think I will never forget that it was a whole week and I just noticed I was in a bit of a funk. I don't know what was going on. And then I just realized I haven't stepped out of the house for a week during lockdown. And since then I just put it in my work calendar because if something's in my work calendar, it's official to step out of the house for an hour, whether it's after dinner, so it's a little quiet on the streets as well, um, or first thing in the morning, just, just, a, just a walk and nature does wonders. So we, I was very, very lucky in, in that regard. And, and I just took advantage of that. But it's just keeping up for me. It was just keeping up all the habits that I picked up after my burnout and um, applying all these coping strategies um, during lockdown. That was that was the hard part. Because sometimes you just feel like you've, you know, why am I feeling this way? You just feel like you failed yourself. Like all mm. the work that I've done on myself for two years what is going on? Am I going to have a panic attack right now? So that to me, there was a lot of self-doubt. Um, but again, just, just, I, I got the support that I needed and I'm very, very grateful for that. And this is why, I mean, I've been very vocal about this. It's not a sign of weakness to, to seek help. Um, if anything, it, it, it just, it is strength. It makes you much, much stronger uh, and able to cope way better with, with, you know, a pandemic, for example. Yeah, I agree. I think having, I had a, a morning routine that has probably been like four years in the making, so it was pretty rock solid. Um, the the challenge was the things that are like, for me, I found essential to mentally, physically, emotionally be happy are outside and light. So I was lucky that the house I was living in was lots of light, but we weren't allowed outside. So for a two-month period, like I think I went out once every probably 10 days because it, it, you weren't allowed to, but even when you went outside, it wasn't, it was so stressful, the waiting to get told off yeah. by the police and getting like fined and stuff. So um, learning, having to put other alternatives that don't quite work as well as just going for a walk outside. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely a challenge finding what suits you and knowing what your triggers are and the, the self-care practices that help with that. So what is your what? being consistent? I was going to say that the issue that a lot of people, I mean, including ourselves, is consistency with all these practices. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like so one of the things that I then worked on was stretching um, because I knew that it was important to me 
but it was this just it was very inconsistent and so I was like okay I'm just going to do one minute every day and the coffee machine took 15 minutes to warm up so that became my routine of like okay wake up turn the coffee machine on stretch even if it's just a minute then and then I can have coffee and then I do the, the reading and stuff that I would normally do because that was a really clear habit and I've actually moved house now and now in this new house, I've got more space outside to stretch. So I can actually stretch outside rather than being in the house. And that has just become a really key, it's just automatic now because I, I suppose I spent that time, even though I didn't do it every week, every day, every week, it, it went from like maybe one one minute, like three days a week to like two minutes, three days a week, and then just slowly building that up. And I think that's my approach with nutrition with people as well, is like mm. building those habits and tweaks and changes in a way that they can, sustain it regardless of whether a pandemic happens or work chaos happens Mm. do you have anything else in your morning routine so my morning routine typically like at the moment would yeah I'd wake up stretch have coffee and then I read and so and then I pray as well so it's usually a combination of those two things and that I think it's sort of started I read a book called the miracle morning a few years ago and Mm -hmm. like like silence affirmations visualization exercise inscribing and so it's a bit of a combination of all those things Mm -hmm. yeah I've read that as well but it's a little overwhelming what they try to cram in the in the book in terms of the miracle morning I did it for a while but I couldn't sustain it so I like your approach of picking and choosing the aspects (laughs) Yeah, and, and I think it's it's evolved. Like at, at times it might be like ten minutes, and at times it might be like mm-hmm. an hour. Like it's it's probably ranges around an hour. And mm-hmm. but it's the the key things I found that have been really important. Like was just making time for that. And again, like having having this environment of people around you that are supporting you. I think this is probably going back five years ago, maybe. And Lindy Cohen was doing like a bit of a digital detox, and the one I was chatting with her, and she's like, yeah phones out the bedroom I'm like that's a great idea so I started keeping phone out the bedroom because it was the default wake up pick up the phone scroll 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 absolutely exactly and I found in in, in during lockdown so I started using my, my alarm clock again but I found in lockdown for me it was the evenings where I got really I, I struggled because there was nothing to do you couldn't go anywhere you couldn't do anything and then my uh, evenings in Spain is when people in Australia are waking up so then you get stuck in another time zone yeah. probably <laughs> My sleep is not great to start with. Um, it's something I'm consciously always working on improving. But then you'd be, you'd be going to bed at like three o'clock in the morning and then waking up at seven, and mm. like, this is not doing me any good. But it takes so much time to then break that bad habit mm-hmm. to make a good habit. Yeah, yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. I've had managed to get the phone out of the bedroom as well, but during lockdown, it's come back in. So I need to, yeah, put that back in place. <laughs> what about you, Sandra? Do you have any morning routines? I think I'm more have, I have more of an evening, evening. ritual, or an evening routine. But for, mm-hmm. for my mornings, I think one thing that I've been or trying to be quite intentional with is not check my phone first thing in the morning. So at least an hour after waking up, try to you know be a bit more present. Um, again, even with the meditation, it's not about sitting there for 20 minutes. Even if I can just do some breathing exercises for three minutes and then just sort of manifest what I want my day to look like or you know, kind of go through a checklist but not too overwhelming and then get, you know, my son ready for daycare. Um, But my evening rituals are the one that again, are my non-negotiables. So I really try to be tech free at least two hours before bedtime. Um, My my phone just automatically deactivates after eight o'clock. So I've got um, screen time put on that. 
Um, I put my sleep tea on. I do a brain dump, as I call it. So it's just a form of journaling. But what I just do is before bed, I just literally write down all of thoughts and feelings that come to mind. It's just like word vomit on a piece of paper. And it's really interesting reading that. So if you have a week's worth of brain dumps, basically, it tells you a story about what's going on. So it might be absolute gibberish when you're reading it right then and there, because it's just feelings, emotions. It could be something that happened today. But I just found it much, much better. Um, and the other thing during COVID is I stopped um, checking the news so often. Um, this is something that I it I was, was like, just, it was like, someone's going to tell me when we're allowed to go outside. I'm not going to miss out. <laughs> I was like, you'll find out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm going to find out by somebody. I'm not going to miss out. Like, but the news is like blowing my head. Um, and then I was just happy to, as I said, I was just being a bit more present and, you know, certain rules that we had. So, you know, my son, we were just trying to get him to sleep alone in his bed. And now he was back in our bed throughout COVID. I was like, you know, what? accept that he needs the cuddles. He needs that sense of security. And I think, you know, kids definitely sense that we're going through a bizarre time and we were all anxious and we just, again, it's, it's, it's uncertain times. So, um, I think letting go is one thing, you know, just letting go and, and just experiencing these emotions because I'm someone that would block any negative emotion like fear or uncertainty or pain, anger, sadness. And again, this is obviously through therapy. It's just, you know, ride that wave. Mm. Thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing yeah, your thoughts, ladies. Um, I think it's really helpful for us to be talking about these topics and, um, yeah, to, to be able to help each other through these times. I just wanted to touch on, you both talked about um, being really clear. It sounds like you're both really clear on what your focus is and your priorities. How do you, how do, you do that? Is there a process you go through to figure out, okay, this is where I want to go, so that's what I'm going to, um, you know, so then I say no to everything else? Gemma, do Gemma, you have any? You can go first. If you... <laughs> yeah, I think... It's a constant evolving thing. I do a lot of, like we talked about the journaling before, like I've always done a lot of ref reflective practice and journaling and goal setting. And I think it's this constant shift. And so it's it, sometimes it's a shift of work, sometimes it's a shift of prof doc. And I it's, I haven't found the, the perfect balance yet. Um, I've just found that having, by almost having specific days for specific, like blocking out time. So Monday, Tuesday will be related to research. Mm -hmm. Wednesdays are kind of like everything else days like admin catching up on what I've missed out on and then Thursdays and Fridays are purely for working with my, mm -hmm. with my athletes. And so, um, and then weekends off so and just being really strict and really clear with that so the working in the evenings I haven't quite mastered that just yet but I think for me it's it's a constant state of evolving looking at okay is this opportunity what am I if I'm saying yes to this opportunity what am I saying no to and so that yeah there's plenty of opportunities that have come up that I'm looking at it and it's like okay bigger picture yes it could be valuable for this context, but what's it going to cost me? And often it costs me my time and it costs me my, and because I like, yeah, I, I love my job. I love what I do. And so I will take on easily too many things. And so I have to remember if I say yes to this, I'm probably going to be sacrificing my own personal life and my time and my relationship with friends. And I think that's one thing I've really 
had to really take note of because I was living in a little bit the last year or two of like one day, one day, one day. And like once I finish this, once I finish this, once I finish this and not making time for things that I want to do that I prioritize. So like going for a ride with a friend before work and then maybe starting work an hour later. And I've been sacrificing it for like six, 12 months because I'm like, oh, no, I just want to finish this. Oh, I want to, and, and then you don't see your friends for six months because you're too busy, they're too busy. And I think for me it's just been – thinking what's the personal cost if I say yes to this opportunity. It's mm, really important. What about you, Sandra? So I think if I had to look at, let's say, the clarity with my messaging and focus, I mean, initially I was dead set, even just starting off my practice, I knew I did not want to work 100%. That was that was something that I've always worked towards. Um, I'm, I would say I, I work about, let's say, four days a week, officially, three to four days a week. Um, but when it comes to, and this was kind of the big question is like, what is our niche? Cause I know in terms of the clarity of the messaging, et cetera, you know, who do I want to target? If my areas are gastro, let's say gut health and, and, and sports nutrition, um, you can easily fall into the temptation of hold on, but everyone's talking about immunity right now. Everyone's talking about these different areas in dietetics and nutrition. Um, but what we've done is we've really kept our messaging quite clear and just adapting, let's say, areas of gut health during lockdown, for example, helping people understand their, let's say, IBS flare-ups during lockdown um, and helping our clients cope with that. That would be one thing. Um, saying, you know, what I've had is a lot of speaking engagements come through as well. And even if it's a completely different topic, I still made it my own or still brought it back to gut health in a way. So, I mean, any opportunity to speak about poo and hemorrhoids on stage or live, I will take that. Um, I mean, again, this, this is, I think this is what makes you unique in your business because there, you know, for, for me, there's so many people in gut health right now, so many sports nutritionists, but what makes you unique and what is your message? So in, in Switzerland, I'm known as the per, you know, the poo guru or the person that makes poo talk salon chic, as they call it. Um, coming, you know, being in a very conservative, uh, conser conservative country. Um, so again, it's really about a knowing what your niche is. And I find it's fine that you have more than one niche. So as I said, I've got these two sort of big niches that, that I work in. And I just make sure that my work is revolved around these two. So all my media partnerships that I've had, whether it's articles I've worked, you know, or, or written for magazines, um, speaking engagements. Um, but again, being strategically busy, keeping within those four days a week and learning how to say no. I think one of the hardest things is to say no, but now because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not part of a startup, I'm not starting up. So even just trusting that if you've got a well-established business and a recognizable brand saying no is you, you have to do that. Hmm. It's having the confidence in yourself. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah. And you're, you're both studying. Um, tell us a little bit about your PhD, Gemma. Yeah, so I mean, I'm in my final, I'm basically in the write-up stage. And what I'm looking at is what endurance athletes, cyclists, runners, triathletes know about carbohydrates for optimal performance because we know that if athletes eat more carbohydrates in a racing context, they perform better. But then also when we look at what they're doing, they're usually underfueling. So is that because they don't know what to do? Is it because... They don't know how to put into practice or is there something going on in the racing context? And so 
part of my research was like, okay, let's look at knowledge first of all, because knowledge doesn't mean someone does something, but it's a starting point. So I created a questionnaire which we validated. And then I've had about over a thousand athletes do it. So that's what I'm analyzing at the moment. And then from that, I had luckily got this all done before COVID hit. Mm. Um, I had over 50 um, elite and amateur athletes doing their, like recording their food intake before, during, and after their races, doing um, interviews. And they did the questionnaire. Before. We had to do the, the, the questionnaire afterwards because we found that it became a learning tool and it mm. made them realize their gaps in their knowledge and stuff. And so, what I'm looking at essentially is what they know, what they don't know, and then how, as a practitioner, um, we can provide extra support. So it's it's a really quick tool to be able to quickly identify from myself, but also from the individual athlete where they may be able to make little quick wins to improve. Mm. And have you found any key results that you're able to share at this point? Uh, not yet. I'm still, I'm still analyzing. I was like, actually, that's what that's what lockdown was really useful for because the first three weeks, all I did was analyze. I transcribed those. I had 50 mm. interviews, so I had yeah. like 30 hours worth of data to transcribe. So that was what kept me sane during that yeah. period going forward. Really interesting, but yet again, it's there's so many things trying to then pull it down into yeah. one thing. I think is going to probably take me the rest of the year. Are you doing that through an Australian university or somewhere else? No, I'm no doing that through the UK. So okay. I did a master's in sports nutrition at Liverpool John Moores University before, and so I'm doing my professional doctorate there as well. So my supervisors are James Morton and Hosea Rita. So they're mm. they're the ones sort of supporting me and giving me guidance throughout this process. Cool, and hopefully finish this year. Yes, that's the plan. So I would love to have finished. I would love to have it finished by the end of the end of the year. I sort of asked my supervisor the other like a while ago. He's like, "What do you think about this?" He's like, "Yeah, maybe we'll see." So it just depends on how much. Essentially, with COVID for me, a, a big spanner in the works because I guess likewise, I had a lot of um, face-to-face events booked in March, April, which was about three months of income. So I, I, my, in my diary, I had blocked off, okay, I work quite hard that month and then I won't have to work for three, four months afterwards and just all, all I'll be doing is, is research PhD writing up. And that kind of then changed. So it sort of reshifted that the, the research work has had to become a much lower priority for a time being and now trying to find the balance of, mm. but ideally my goal is I'd love to have it finished by the end of this year because so that I'm not like so split in my yeah. time priorities. Yeah. You'll have all this extra time back. You might not want to do with yourself. No, I'll be able to, no I, I know what I'll do. I'll be riding my bike. I'll be riding my bike so much more. And Sandra, you're doing something with the IOC? Yes. So I will, if all goes well and to plan, I should be done this year. So I'm part of the IOC, the International Olympic Committee's um, sports nutrition program. Uh, Initially joined in 2018. So it's a two-year program. Um, But then after the burnout, I just took a step back and that was actually one of the hardest things to do to suspend something. Um, So I took a break and then I'm back in it and I should be done this year. So um, it's just definitely, I mean, again, sports nutrition was never part of the plan for me because again, it was always gastroenterology, but then around when was it three years ago, I was approached by a couple of football players and a powerlifter. I was like, hmm, hold on. Okay. This is completely interesting. Um, doing a little bit of CPD work, more experience. I just found it was just as rewarding as working with, with gut health, um, patients, gut health clients. Um, cause you just see the impact of nutrition when it comes to performance and um, 
so, so that was my push. And I was like, right. So, 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 you know, sign me up. Where else can I learn more? Um, and then just through, again, through my network, I've, um, I was pushed towards that course as well. And I was very, very happy with it. And I just, and what was it this year? I just found out that, um, the legend Louis Burke was part of the program too. Um, so that just made me up my game a little bit with all the assignments that are coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to be done by the end of this year. And the plan is um, hopefully to sign another professional sports team, um, either by the end of the year or next year. So whether it's hockey or another football team, well, we shall see what 2020 brings. Mm-hmm. So coming to the end of our chat here, which I've really thoroughly enjoyed, but I just wondered what have been the silver linings for you during COVID and what, guess what learnings, either personally or, and or professionally, that you want to take into the post-COVID world? Gemma, do you want to go first? Yeah, I think for me it's looking at where I want my business to go and seeing what changes I can make now to make that happen. So, for example, um, yeah, I love riding my bike and where I base the very heavy cycling triathlon base is a lot of cycle tourism coming in there's a lot of bike shops and regular events and rides each week and so I've been saying for years that like as a part of my business marketing strategies that I wanted to go on these group rides to meet new people who are visiting potential clients have chats um, and then yeah like reach a, a different audience in that perspective but I was like, I don't have time, I don't have time, I don't have time. And I'm like, well, I'm never going to have time unless I make time. And so I, I pretty much have to book my calendar out a month in advance for this, otherwise it gets blocked up by other people. But I've started blocking in at least one ride per business a month and blocking it out. So, okay, this week I'm going on this one, this week I'm going on this one. And so then I can support those audiences as well but also reach new people and incorporate where I want my business to go on a a beginner level mm. and is that working for you yeah yeah I've been to I've been I've been to at least one one of those rides once a month the last last two months yeah, and, cool. and, and what, it's, it's I've met new clients and it started conversations with potential clients as well so it's, yeah. it's been special. so sometimes actually finding the time or taking the time actually gets you further ahead doesn't it yeah yeah for sure yeah that slow down to move faster yeah, and, and again, definitely the learning to actually live my life now and mm-hmm. and take breaks, I think. So it's, it's like, okay, I'm going to block this time off and go to the beach mm-hmm. and I don't have to work myself to the ground and not feeling not, not feeling guilty for not being working. I think that's the hardest thing. That's the hardest thing I find <laughs> is to actually enjoy that time off and not being feel, yeah. feeling guilty or thinking of all the things that you could be doing. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not very good at relaxing, so no, neither am I. I'm relaxing by <laughs> doing beach. The beach and riding my bike are the best things for me at the moment. I have to have no internet, is my so I need to be out of range. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I have to wherever we book for. I mean, for holidays, I just need to make sure they have the crappiest Wi-Fi because <laughs> that is the only way it will get me to completely disconnect. But um, look, just like just like Jim, I think. For me, the silver lining was the reinforcement of the power of slowing down. I had to learn the hard way two years ago, but this time is every time I, I mean, I, I, we come from the society of soldier on, push through, push through for success. 
And for me, this whole slowing down to, to succeed was quite contradictory to, to everything that I've learned, basically. Mm-hmm. So learned the hard way in 2019, but this time I was kind of forced into it. And I'm, once again, I just find that I'm that I have more clarity as to where I want to take the business or how I want to move forward as well. So that, that was definitely the, you know, the biggest positive, um, you know, all things given professionally and personally, it was just reinforcing all the habits that I picked up two years ago and, and not letting those go and keeping those up really helped me cope um, with, with the current situation. And also again, slowing down, being more present and more aware. That was my personal goal for last year. And I was like, you know what, maybe it's the same goal for this year as well. So just being more present with my son and being more present with friends, again, being more connected. Because just like you said, you can, sometimes I realize I haven't seen friends for months, purely because I was just so focused on on my, I mean, I, I absolutely love what I do. It's a part of who I am. I don't see it as a, a job per se. Obviously, we need to pay the bills. Yes. So we have to make it work. But um I'm very, very grateful that it's, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be in my practice. I'm happy doing what I'm doing. So, and again, this whole definition of balance, I think balance is never static. We are going to redefine or keep redefining what balance means to us, depending on the circumstance, depending on our stage of of life. Yeah. I've thoroughly enjoyed our chat, ladies. I just um, thank you (laughs) so much for your openness and honesty and, you know, really sharing what the last few months have been like for you and how you've the strategies and tips that you've used to move through that period and, and beyond as well. And yeah, thank you so much for your time and being part of our bite-sized chats and I wish you nothing but success over the next um, few months, which we really still don't know what that's going to look like and into the coming years and um, can't wait to see you in person at some point. Um, either back here in Australia or somewhere in Europe. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe at a Congress of Dietetics somewhere around the world. But, yeah. Um, And congratulations and, you know, for all that you've achieved, you know, working overseas. I know myself having moved and lived in another country, it's not an easy thing to do either. So, um, yeah, congratulations on your successes in in both of your businesses. Thank you. So thanks so much for joining for us. us. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's just been lovely to chat with you. I really enjoyed it. You Have too. a great day, and um, we'll talk soon. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Look forward to joining us on another Dietitian Connection bite-sized chat. Thanks for listening, wherever in the world you're tuning in from. If you did enjoy this podcast episode, we would really appreciate if you could leave a review for us. Leaving a review actually means the podcast gets to more dietitians and it can only elevate our profession if we work together. So please hit that review button. Tell us and other people what you thought about this episode. Another way to share your learnings from this episode and keep the conversation going is to take a screenshot of your phone screen, add your message and share it on social media. Don't forget to tag us at Dietitian Connection so we can share it with our following of over 30,000. Tell us what you learned and what future topics you'd like us to cover. If you'd like to access the show notes, they are available at dietitianconnection.com forward slash podcasts. Dietitian Connection is a global community and we offer free professional development. 
job opportunities, resources, and connections. We're committed to bringing dietitians together so we can create more impact and elevate our profession. And you can easily become a Dietitian Connection member for free by signing up at dietitianconnection.com.